Hey there. Sit right back and get comfortable. That's an order. You are listening to Broker Talk, the number one weekly real estate podcast hosted by brokers. With almost 50 years of experience in the real estate brokerage industry, including residential commercial investment development and marketing, including radio and television, magazines, books, websites, and of course, podcasts. Your Broker Talk hosts today are Larry Lawfer, myself, Jim Lowenstern. Evan is on the soundboard. We're once again broadcasting from the top of the Castles Unlimited Space Needle in Boston, Massachusetts. How are you doing today, Larry? I am doing just great. Uh, we've got a great show lined up for us. There's 40% of all the market right now, Jim, is is first-time home buyers. I've experienced this several times in the last week, and we have a special guest with us, someone who has uh, more than 30 years' experience in our industry. She was a realtor. She was a loan officer. She ran several successful offices. Uh, uh, she's a business owner. Uh, she's a mother, and she is a fun-loving person. I want to introduce our guest. Uh, honored to bring in Amy, Amy Tears. Welcome, Amy. Pleasure to be here. Thank you very much, guys. Did I miss anything on your your? Uh, I know you did win Vendor of the Year from uh, the MLS, uh, not the MLS, a G- uh, affiliate of the year from G Bar, uh, Greater Boston Associate of Realtors. Yes. <laughs> so it's it's a pretty exciting time. Uh, interest rates remain low. Uh, First-time mm-hmm. homebuyers are coming out of the basements and uh, deciding it's time to get started. What do you suggest for first-time homebuyers, Amy? Well, the first thing I always say to first-time buyers, but also anybody really getting ready to explore uh, getting into or moving around in real estate, is talk with a lender. Um, Even if you don't think you're going to buy for six months or a year, I'm always happiest when I get in front of people very early because we can develop strategy around, um, you know, setting them up for a real successful purchase. Some people may need to save some more money. Some people may need to work on their credit. But if we talk early, we can just make sure that the, the buyer is in the strongest position to buy when, when the time comes. Well, I, I agree absolutely. I might have put a real estate agent in there as well, get to know one of, <laughs> one of us. Um, I often tell people, and tell me if I'm wrong in in saying this, Amy, that uh, there are so many loan products out there. There are so many lenders. It's it's like buying shoes. You have to kind of talk to enough people to get the right fit. Am I wrong there? No, I think it, I think it's important to get the right fit, and and I certainly didn't mean to leave realtors out. But what I do find is a lot of people approach realtors before they really know what they can afford, and so nobody needs to be wasting time looking at and exploring properties that they that they're not going to be able to successfully purchase. Um, that said, with regard to mortgages, there are. Um, Lenders such as myself, I'm not, I don't work for a bank, so I have a wide variety of mortgage products. There are mortgage brokers, there are banks. But 
you know, 10 years after the mortgage crisis that kind of put us into a recession uh, a while ago, you may remember that, um, the mortgage industry is actually much more um, commoditized than ever before. So a lot of the products and programs out there, we're all, we're all dealing with a lot of the same rules, regulations, and guidelines. So you just want to work with somebody you feel comfortable with, you've got a good relationship with, who comes well recommended to you, who has a good track record and a company that's got a good track record. Sure, and and we all know that once you have a loan, if you close on it, it's probably going to be sold in six months, um, yeah, or less. <laughs> or less. Yeah. Why? Why is that? Why? Why do banks take a loan and then sell them right away? mortgage business is really made in the servicing of the loan itself, the, the servicing of the customer throughout the loan process, and the actual mortgage itself is traded uh, on, on in the bond market, bundled as a part of a security. Um, so the reason loans get sold is because uh, lenders need capital to continue providing loans to borrowers uh, before this secondary market of the sale of loans uh, uh, evolved, you know, 40, 50 years ago, if a bank would lend out money based on what they had on deposit, and then when they ran out of money to lend, the window was closed. Today, there's always capital for qualified borrowers to buy real estate because these loan, the, the loan coffers are always being replenished by the sale of the loans. Does that make sense? It, it does, and it doesn't. I know that the uh, sale of, of loans was part of the reason why in 2008 we went down the mm-hmm. tubes. So um, talk a moment for, about that part. Well, um, you know, in 2008, there was uh, what had occurred uh, uh, leading up to that, uh, 6, 7, and 8, was a real uh, appetite for mortgage um, uh, uh, trading on Wall Street. The, the mortgage uh, secondary market was making money hand over fist, and there was sort of a belief built into it that real estate values would never decline, and therefore it was a perfect investment vehicle. And of course, we know what happened. Um, because of chasing after higher and higher uh, yields on these investment vehicles, uh, lending products became riskier and riskier, and in the end, it, it uh, set up a situation that caused our, our market correction back in 08, 9, and 10. And uh, today the industry's learned its lesson. So loans are still sold and traded, uh, but there are so many more um, uh, regulations in place uh, that uh, there's really so much, very little risk, I would say, left in the market in terms of the mortgages being made today. Amy, uh, this is Jim. I have a question. So, yeah. um so when that market um, back then in uh, 07 um, and 08, 06, I mean, it was getting pretty sticky in 05 when subprimes mm-hmm. were pretty much eliminated. Uh, it was the underwriting guidelines for those loans that were changed. Uh, before that, uh, someone who had no job and no assets, uh, if they came up with some good numbers on a application, they got a loan. It was as simple as Uh that. So everybody, uh, the word got out. Everybody was buying everything in sight. And then uh, it wasn't so much the prices going down. It was just that uh, the wrong people were getting the loans. So now we have uh, Dodd-Frank and uh, we have uh, much tighter regulations. 
But isn't there a place for, uh, let's say, um, no-income verification loans with, um, let's say, 30% down? Because There was no-income verification loans when I got into the mortgage business back in 1990, Jim, and you're right. They had uh, larger down payment requirements, very restrictive credit uh, requirements, uh, profiles. Um, and asset requirements. So, so unlike what happened, you know, beginning in 05 and moving forward, where it didn't matter if you had credit, you could lie. Nothing was verified on the application. So consumers were coached into lying about their employment or their income or their assets, and they could get into a piece of real estate with, you know, a 600 credit score, no money down, and a pulse. And the problem with those vehicles is that they were adjustable rate loans, and they adjusted in either two years or three years, and the rates went up uh, something like 6% were the caps. And so you'd have a buyer who would, you know, bought an 05 with a no-income verification loan and no money down, and the rate goes up, but property values were still going up, and that lender refinances them once again into another two-year product. And then two years later, that rate goes up 6%, and guess what? The products don't long, no longer exist because the market is shut down, and all of these borrowers can't afford these mortgage payments, and that's what caused this sort of collapse in the well, real estate market yes, is people it, it, who shouldn't have gotten loans because they really couldn't afford the properties. Um, when when the uh, you know when the dam broke, um, all so, of those properties so let me, were, were let me, uh, uh, in distress. Let me, let me jump in. Uh, so uh, mm-hmm. now I am hearing that with thirty percent down, uh, there are um, loans available, basically with with no income verification. Um, you know, what I am familiar with, we have multiple products that allow for sort of alternative income verification. Um, I am familiar with programs where if somebody has a lot of assets, it can be an asset-based loan, even if it's like a retirement account, something like that, where we're going to look at the amount of that asset and break it down over the years of the mortgage and how many payments can be made out of that. There is also a... Um, a, a um, A segment of the marketplace that uh, is called sort of hard money lending, which is private lending and uh, requires uh, no real income verification. It's, It's a niche in the market that's designed to support people who have the money to make a down payment but may not want to jump through all the hoops of verifying um, income, et cetera. Well, some of those programs are really good for uh, people who are self-employed, uh, people mm-hmm. who own their own businesses, and, and banks don't traditionally like those people. Um, you know, I'm going to argue with that for a second, though, Larry, because, you know, in 30 years in the business, I've done very few loans, I think a handful, that weren't full doc. But I've done a tremendous number of loans for self-employed individuals. And, you know, a lot of people show the income that they make on their tax returns and easily do qualify for mortgages based on, on how they file their taxes. Um, the, the more difficult ones are actually the people who have very complex financial situations, corporations, multiple corporations, etc. But our standard first-time buyer who might be a self-employed graphic designer, store owner, uh, real estate agent, so many of these people every day buy homes with traditional financing because they actually do qualify. 
Uh, so uh, let's jump to the uh, 20% down and, mm-hmm. and talk about PMI and what PMI mm-hmm. is and all of that. Can you give us a brief description of that? So any loan uh, with less than a 20% down payment requires some form of what we call private mortgage insurance. And what this insurance does is it insures the lender against a default by the borrower. So prior to private mortgage insurance coming into the market, once again, if a consumer didn't have 20% down, they pretty much didn't get to buy real estate. And so this was a tool that came in that helped people get into the market with less and less money down. So we have programs uh, uh, with down payment requirements as low as 3%. Um, there's a housing bond, a mass housing program, and many of the state uh, uh, bond programs for low to moderate income buyers offer uh, products that may have no money down or have a uh, uh, come with a second mortgage that provides them with 100% financing. So first of all, it's a myth that you need a 20% down payment. And second of all, um, I think it's, you know, Private mortgage insurance is not a bad thing. It's a wonderful opportunity for somebody to get into a piece of real estate without having to wait to save up a large down payment. Um, It's a relatively low cost. I work with a lot of consumers who buy houses, fix them up, refinance, and the private mortgage insurance uh, gets removed because they built a lot of equity in the house. So it's a tool. It can be... uh, uh, a monthly payment in your loan. It can be paid in a, a lump up front. Uh, lenders can, can pay private mortgage insurance and build it into the interest rate. It's important to talk to your lender when you have less than a 20% down payment to review all of the options and all of the different ways to structure your private mortgage insurance. Well, in, in um, uh, Googling uh, first-time home buyer mistakes, I've got a ton of uh, responses, uh-huh. as you, you might imagine. Uh, looking for a home uh, before applying for a mortgage is number one on several of them. Um, t- talking to one lender is also on them. So how do you deal uh-huh. with the fact that people are shopping you? You know, I think it's important that people talk to more than one lender and make sure that they're comfortable with the person they choose to work with. It's it's an, an intimate kind of relationship. Um, it's also important that you're not just, listen, no matter where you go, if you shop only on rate, I guarantee you'll find somebody who will be lower than the lowest person you find. That doesn't mean that they're going to deliver. So it's also important to shop uh, reputation, experience, um, and and uh, their ability to get the job done on time. Um, you know, I pride myself that you know we we originate loans, the loans get approved, and the loans close. And you just want to make sure you're working with a lender who's not going to um, you know put you through a tremendous amount of stress. So, so Amy, uh, which the uh, not closing on time is a big part of it. So, so which banks uh, should uh, um, borrowers uh, shy away from? <laughs> I, you know, what I would shy away from, honestly, are uh, Internet lenders. They do an awful lot of marketing. They sound very attractive. There's a lot of hidden stuff that gets built into what they do, and the deals are usually not nearly as good as they appear uh, based on what you see on TV or social media. Um, honestly, I don't like to name names, but uh, I have been told by my real estate partners that some of the biggest banks uh, in the area are also some of the least reliable in terms of getting the job done on time. The America. other big co- 
caveat I'd give to a consumer because it's confusing is if you've talked to a lender and they tell you that you're pre-approved, if they haven't looked at your income documentation, pay stubs, W-2s, tax returns, and they haven't reviewed your bank statements and they haven't pulled your credit, you're not pre-approved. So understand you've only had a pre-qualification conversation and it's pretty worthless until you've worked with a lender who has gone through a full process with you and reviewed all those documents so that you know you can go and shop with uh, security and not worry that it's going to fall apart. I frequently hear from buyers who they thought they were pre-approved with another lender, but when it came down to actually get the loan, um, they weren't. And, you know, they're backpedaling and trying to figure out what they need to do to, to qualify um, because the lender really couldn't deliver. So make sure they look at everything, and you're providing everything. Did you have a follow-up there, Jim? Well, yeah, no, I, I just said, I, I asked uh, Amy if Bank of America was... Uh, the, that <laughs> well, they were the first on my list. Was, was the company uh, that Wells she was Fargo, thinking of? Chase, you know, I'll name, I'll name the big banks, and, and I'll also... <laughs> Uh, I'll also say the reason why I feel that way is from uh, a number of years in this business and the the bank-owned properties and dealing with people who are losing their homes because of uh -huh. uh, a health situation, somebody dies, something like that. These these are just horrible stories, and and you hear. They're calling to their banks. Their banks aren't honest with them. They keep losing their documents. It's it's not pleasant at all. And I say work with someone you like and trust and, and stick with them. And that's, you know, that's, it's so true. And it's also um, the other reason to stay away from the Internet lender. Listen, I'm on the street in the community. I run into Larry Law for getting coffee or other real estate agents I do business with. My reputation, and I work 100% on commission just like the real estate agents do, so my reputation is completely dependent on that loan closing. The person sitting at a call center in Iowa really doesn't care. They're going to get paid their salary, and they're going to get paid a, a few dollars of bonus if the loan closes. They have no relationship or connection to it. I work on referral only. The best lenders do because if we're going to stay in business, we've got to do a good job. Well, I, th I think the repeat business is really important, and anybody who's in this business for a while knows that uh, we're going to get paid our commissions, but the real uh, gold in our business is the referrals. We're it's looking the referral, for the testimonial. Amy, so uh, in, in your review process with your clients, uh, how long does it take them to be approved? The pre-approval. Uh, pre-approved? Well, approved, approved. Approved, approved. <laughs> so approved. Well, let's go through both. So... Um, Pre-approval can be as, as quick as an hour. It depends on how, how complex the borrower's situation is and how quickly they get me the documentation that they need. But if I have a salaried employee with a W-2 and a pay stub and uh, good credit and, you know, a bank statement with their, you know, down payment in it, uh, this is, you know, sort of a 15-minute the amount of time it takes me to enter it in the system, put it all together, and, and produce a letter. The more complex things get or the more paperwork required, we're typically 24 to 48 hours. Um, and in many situations, I will, um, you know, have a full underwriter underwrite the loan so that we can know that we're going through with sort of a guaranteed pre-approval situation. Um, then once the 
where has gotten an accepted offer, and I think it's always surprising that, you know, well, I was pre-approved, why do I need to keep sending you paperwork? But once the, the offer is accepted, um, we're going to then put that loan into process, the clock starts ticking, uh, the documentation and disclosures go to the consumer, and we're going to need additional documentation and updated documentation. Um, we look at large deposits in your bank accounts, we look at uh, money that gets moved around so we make sure we can identify that the deposit on the property is truly the borrower's money, or if not, where is it coming from? So we have to source that. We're going to get an appraisal on the property. That's a third-party report today because the market rates are low and the market's busy. Appraisals are taking about two weeks. So that's a window of time that has to be built into the process. Um, and as we move through the process, some things may come up. Um, it's kind of an invasive uh, process today with technology. We know a whole lot more about our consumers than we did 20 years ago, and that um, will often re require additional documentation to, uh, to verify something that may appear in a profile uh, that we may not have known about or asked about. Frequent things might be address movements um, and just documenting uh, where you lived because a person could put two addresses on and had a one-month gap, and that will get discovered, and we're going to need to know where you were in that one month. So I always tell the consumer, be very thorough. Don't round your numbers. If you worked at a place for one year and 11 months, make it one year and 11 months, and then give me the previous employment. Otherwise, if you round up and it's not the truth, we're going to have to go back and re-verify backwards, and those things can be frustrating and slow the process down. I have one one um, uh, caveat that I always tell uh, my buyers: uh, mm -hmm. please don't use your credit card between the purchase and sale and the closing, because they are going to check your your credit score one more time. And if you are close in your loan to uh, uh, value, uh, you might be in trouble that way. Well, the, this is one of the things that's changed so dramatically since you know in the ten years and with new regulation is that we have real hard stops and there's no wiggle room. So we look at your, you know, your, your debt to income ratio, how much of your income is going to your housing debt and then going to all debt. And in some products, if that debt to income ratio says uh, the max we can go is 45, and if that debt-to-income ratio goes to 45.1, I'm going to have to pay off that enough debt to get it back to 45. Yes. And so, you know, a $50 credit card charge could put you over. It doesn't happen very often. However, credit is monitored throughout the process, and therefore you're exactly right. Don't do anything that's going to change your credit profile. Do not apply for new credit cards. That will definitely um, pop up. Don't get new debt. I understand it might be tax-free weekend, but it doesn't mean you should go out to a furniture store and buy $5,000 worth of furniture three days before your closing. That could hurt you. So you're right, Larry. Just don't do anything that's – don't quit your job. I have had people who have quit their job a week before buying a home and really thought that they would be able to get away with it. Huh. We actually have to – we are required by law to do a telephone verification of employment 48 hours prior to the closing. Oops. 
So there's not a whole lot that we don't find out about. <laughs> so All right. well, play it straight. We're gonna, just call we're gonna... your loan officer if you need to do something. Hey, if your car breaks down and you got to get a new one, call your loan officer so we document everything correctly and it doesn't impact um, your closing. We're going to slip our sponsorship in right now. Broker Talk is sponsored today by Castles Unlimited, where you get the best real estate offers. Online, go to castlesunlimited.com for all your real estate needs. So we have a question today, Amy. Every week we get a question that gets written in, and it's kind of right up this alley here. Uh, Joelle Murphy from Dallas, Texas, first-time homebuyer, and she is interested in not making uh, typical mistakes. If you could briefly give me two or three typical mistakes that she should not make. Um, I think number one, you know, have your real estate team and your lender together before you start looking and before you make any offers so you know you're protected and you're covered by a professional group working with you. Uh, Two, don't change your profile from the time you've applied for your mortgage without talking to your loan officer. Moving large amounts of money, changing your credit, applying for new credit. That actually goes for canceling credit cards. Don't even do that. Um, That would be that. Don't co-sign a loan for somebody else uh, while you're in the process. Again, everything is going to show up. Um, Listen to the professionals. Don't venue shop for more information. I find people can get themselves very confused by talking to too many people and getting a lot of misinformation in the process. And I had one other question. Um, mm-hmm. You, uh, I know you to be personable. I know I've known you for a long, long time, and I know that you do a great job with your with your clients. But when you're done, when that loan, when that closes, and and they're in their home, and that that um, loan gets sold, where where does Amy go in all of that? Well, Amy is always right where she always was, answering at amy at amyrates.com. I like to try to build relationships for life. And although people think when they buy a house they're never going to need their mortgage person again, um, I am so delighted every time I hear from my past customers for uh, a volume of reasons, referrals to other professionals, uh, including you know service people, financial people, etc., um, I'm always watching and monitoring everybody's mortgages so that if rates uh, make a movement, it may be an opportunity to refinance. I'm going to reach out to that consumer. Your average uh, first-time buyer is in a house for less than seven years. I don't know. I think the stat's around five now. I'm hoping to be there when you're ready to do the next purchase. And, you know, today I'm excited that I'm doing loans for kids, the kids of the people I did their first-time mortgages for 30 years ago. So it comes full cycle. Um, you'll always hear from me. I'll always be just a phone call away, and I'll always be providing cutting-edge information on the market uh, through blogging and other ways that I stay in touch with my clients. That is absolutely wonderful to hear. And in this um, show, we always have at least one news item. Uh, Today's news item uh, popped out at me. I know Jim has another thought in mind. But uh, Contactually, which is a CRM that was servicing clients all over the U.S., uh, was bought out by Compass. And now this week they're talking about not servicing people who are not Compass 
agents. So all of those people who have had their CRM um, uh, with this contactually for so long are being poorly served by that company. And um, I just don't understand why large companies come in and, and do these kind of things and disrupt, further disrupt uh, an already disruptive uh, market. Do you have any ideas, Jim? Um, not really, to be honest. Um, I was just looking at uh, Realogy's stock cratering again. <laughs> that, that, that was what my focus was today. Well, you, you watch the money. I watch the people. That's how we roll. <laughs> Um, Amy, do you have any last words? Um, it, rates are low. It's a gorgeous fall New England weather. Great time to be buying real estate. Work with a really good realtor. Um, don't do it on your own. This is not uh, this is not for the faint of heart. It's a serious transaction. There are serious contractual obligations, and there's a lot of great professionals here to help. And um, you know, surround yourself with the best, and you're going to just love being a homeowner. Give us your contact information one more time, Amy. Amy Tierce, Radius Financial Group. Amy at amyrates.com is the best way to find me. I'm also on LinkedIn and Facebook. Great. Well, thank you oh, for my being... My phone number, if you want. All right, might as well slip it in. Cool. Out of town, do it. Tonight, before midnight, uh, operator is standing by. <laughs> Broker Talk is a weekly podcast hosted by real estate industry prof professionals and always dedicated to telling it like it is. So we are signing off for today. This is Jim. And this is Larry. We're going to go now, and we're going to see you next week. Money, Thanks money, so much money. for listening, people. <laughs>